Hello, and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour, SB Nation's premier and only NFL podcast. Um, I'm your host, Ryan Van Biver, NFL editor. With me, as always, Stephen White and Danny Kelly. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Doing awesome. Well, that's good to hear. You got your um, <laughs> got your hot deflate gate takes ready to go, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Fresh out of the fire. <laughs> <laughs> Swapped out your Samsung for an iPhone and got that all ready to go. <laughs> if he doesn't get an endorsement deal out of that. Seriously, right? Got to. You should get, like, free phones once a month. <laughs> I bet a phone's probably not a big expense for Tom Brady, though. You know what's crazy? This is not really related, but I just read Giselle Bündchen makes, like, $47 million a year. She makes way more than he does, even with endorsements and stuff. Tom Brady's money is, like, they're, like, that's what they spend on hats or whatever. <laughs> on Uggs. Yeah, it's, like, ridiculous. I mean, I I'm sure he makes a lot of <laughs> well that's kind of a good point because the, the thing that jumps out the most about this is i, I mean f- first of all i was i guess i wasn't surprised that they upheld the decision i didn't think unless they frog marked him out in front of a microphone and cameras that to apologize there was no way he wasn't getting four games unless there was just you know because it, otherwise it's an admission of guilt and i didn't get the sense that brady or the union were willing to do that Right. So were you guys surprised by the decision at all? Well, I, I would say that I was surprised it wasn't reduced. I, I don't think uh, any of us thought that it was going to be completely erased. But, you know, it's almost customary these days that if you have a guy that's suspended for four games, unless it's something truly heinous, you know, you, you knock it down to two or three games. You look at uh, Le'Veon Bell, the same day, gets yeah. a game knocked off of his. And it's kind of that Shawshank Redemption uh, mindset of you have to admit <laughs> that you were wrong in order to get any kind of uh, leniency. And, and it's crazy to me that they even verbalized or they put that in the ruling itself. They said that basically he had to come clean in order to get any reduction of the suspension and you got to ask yourself, well, what if the guy really and truly feels like he didn't do it? Yeah. And, you know, and that's hard to and it's hard to know because you read the Wells report and and there's not conclusive evidence. And, and I thought that was kind of the most interesting thing about it was was, man, the NFL right off the bat. I mean, in the, the very like the the three paragraph executive summary of the decision when they released that, the first thing that stood out, the first thing after where they say they upheld it was talking about him destroying his cell phone right out of the gate. <laughs> and they really shifted and pushed that hard. Like, well, he wasn't going to cooperate, so we're going to slap his, you know, keep him at four games and put the hammer to him with this destroyed cell phone business. And and then Brady comes out and says, well, I didn't destroy my phones before they talked to me. I destroyed it once I knew that they could, they needed these you know, we gave them these X number of records, and then we worked with them to get the phone company to kind of go through this. And then you see the footnote in the NFL's 20-page report that's, you know, they declined the opportunity during the appeal part of this whole thing to go back and work with the phone companies to retrieve some of that data. Could could you do you know if they could actually see the text messages from the phone company? Because I would I read somewhere yesterday that. Really, only the only thing you can get from the phone company is like the timestamps of like all the text messages. Well, no, what you could have done was what they would have done was like, all right, here's the people relevant to this who he texted during that window, right? And then you can go look at, you know, can you you can go talk to those people and see if they'll you know share that information. They can't subpoena oh. it or anything like that, but yeah, I mean, so it's kind of interesting because it you know they put that out there to kind of you know your first instinct is, and I've had a couple people ask me this already, it's just like. Well, he's got to be guilty, though, because of the destroyed cell phone, right? No. Yeah. No. That's I mean, the, thing. It, the NFL is basically saying, well, we can't prove it, but this looks really freaking awful, so let's let's make sure this is the main story because basically, you know, in the court of public opinion, he's guilty of sin. Right. But in the court of, you know, the NFL, whatever is they're going through, they, you know, I guess there's reasonable doubt still, so... I'm sure that's why they went first with that and, like, you know, made that such a big part of the the reason that they didn't, uh, you know, reduce his sentence or whatever. Right. 
Steve. And, it, and it was it was a perfect setup. You know, they know the kind of things to do to get public sentiment on their side. And when yeah. you lead with that, what everybody always says, what well, is the it's never the actual transgression is actually the cover up. Yeah. So everybody right. just figures, you know, if you if you covered it up, then it must have been uh, you must have been guilty. But here's the thing, and this was pointing out on Twitter today. I'm trying to remember who's who tweeted it out, but it, it was it was very smart. You go back to the Wells report, and Wells said himself he didn't need the physical cell phone because remember when everybody freaked out when it first came out mm-hmm. that they were dating him because he didn't hand over his cell phone. Everybody was like, "Well, I wouldn't hand over my cell phone either." Yeah. Well, the Wells report said he didn't even need. The cell phone. Yeah. So if he didn't need the cell phone, who gives a flying fuck if he crushed it or set it on fire? The shit that Lindsey Graham did last week after Trump gave out his number, <laughs> who gives a flying fuck what he did to his phone if you've already admitted you didn't need it? Right. But that's the genius of the NFL because they know most people aren't going to go back and look at that. They're just going to go with, oh, man, he broke his phone. He must be guilty. Yeah. So now they're calling into question, you know, the Patriots are calling into question the validity of the Wells report. And so now I think the NFL is like, well, that that aside, he was uncooperative. We requested it four times and he never, you know, gave it to us, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is the, this is the crime. It was un, uncooperative with us and he didn't, he didn't, you know, whatever, bow and, and give us what we wanted. Maybe that's like, it seems like that's the narrative they're trying to push now rather than defending the Wells report, which is been you know debated by scientists on both sides so yeah it seems like and a lot of people said that yesterday it was like the crime yeah like it was more like the cover-up was was what made this look so bad not the fact that you know the balls were deflated a little bit well i think it's interesting though because i mean obviously that's a good play for the court of for the media and the court of public opinion but you know when you get into court and you're arguing over whether or not a player can be punished for non-cooperation and the quote-unquote non-cooperation in the investigation then it's a whole different ball game yep. and and you know and to brady's and to brady's point he said he's i don't you know i don't want to be the one to hand over my cell phone and set the precedent that every other player going forward has to send their cell phone you know what i mean because then it's and then what happens when it's a failed drug test and they want your cell phone record you know it's just it's become stuff like well let's see Josh Gordon's phone to see if he bought weed that night or something like that. Right, and it would filter into the domestic violence stuff, yep. and the, you know all of those uh, investigations that you know the, the the NFL does on its own above and beyond what the police do. And yep. then let's say the police couldn't get a subpoena for your uh, your your text messages, but but we're gonna make you give them to the NFL, and now. The, the 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 police could argue since the NFL has them, they have a right to them. Yeah, I mean that's, this is a very slippery slope, and I know people have already kind of made up in their mind that the NFLPA can't win this, but I think that's a load of crap. I think I'm so not too. a lawyer, and I don't profess to be. I watch a whole lot of Perry Mason, but still, <laughs> I, I just think that there's a lot of slippery slope arguments to be made here, above and beyond whether or not he broke his phone. Yep. Well, and you look at it too. It's like, and that's why I can't believe people are. I mean, I don't like to prognosticate on the court stuff either because it's just like, you know, there's a lot I'm not privy to to begin with. And then every judge is different. Like, it was like yesterday, everyone's, well, this judge was appointed by Bush, so that doesn't bode well. It's like, well, that doesn't necessarily, not necessarily true because, you know, we've seen judges, liberal liberal and conservative, quote unquote, break the opposite way on other issues, you know, political issues that you'd think where you could predict where they'd line out. So you're not going to be able to predict necessarily what's going to go on here. But, you know, you get into the court and this is suddenly, it's like Bounty Gate. It's like, I, I, the Bounty Gate one's important to me here because it's that investigation where you just don't have conclusive evidence that anything happened. Can we all agree, though, that him destroying his phone looks terrible? <laughs> It, 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 like, why give them that kind of ammunition? That, yeah. that would be my question to him behind just, closed just doors where nobody could ever report on it. Just yeah. between you, why in the fuck would you do something? <laughs> it's boneheaded, especially when you saw your homeboy, uh, 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 Aaron Hernandez, 
did the shit and he got convicted of fucking killing somebody. Yeah. That's probably a bad uh, um, example to follow. And here's the thing. Here's the funny thing that kind of flew under the radar. His fucking uh, agent actually basically comp to being the one who gave him that advice. And I swear to God, I would have to think two or three times over if he was my agent at this point. I like the, I like the, uh, there's some cool conspiracy theories out now that like, you know, Brady destroyed his phone because there was much worse evidence on it than like the bounty <laughs> gates or the uh, deflate gate stuff. Well, I like that kind of you stuff. You know what? Honestly, like the first, my thought with this is, was with the destroy, with the destroyed phone. And I, you know, I know this is just, this is random, but I'm like, you, you kind of wonder though, with people that are like that level of celebrity, like with yep. all the hacking and stuff like that that goes on, and you know the guy's married to a supermodel that's all over, you know. I mean, that's you know can't go anywhere without a TMZ photographer on her tail. Is yeah. that if you destroy stuff like that regularly? Because I mean, I know there's the cloud thing too, but you know, it's just like when Jennifer Lawrence nudes turn up on the internet and stuff like that. It's like I mean, if Tom Brady's cell phone gets stolen, that shit's going to be all over the internet. It doesn't matter if it's Deflategate stuff. It's going to be everything on there. Yeah, I mean, it's Man. like you can you can rationalize it for sure. It just, to me, it just looks terrible, and that's obviously why. They well, did that's it. why the NFL put that out there, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. And it, and it's terrible objects for him. Like I said, I, I would wonder why he would do that, even if his agent, uh, um, you know, recommended he do it. It just at that point seems like something that something would have gone on in your back of your mind and said. You know what? This really is not a good idea. I'm gonna give them ammunition if I break this phone. But at the end of the day, man, like 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 y'all are talking about, there's no way he would have turned over his phone to them anyway, whether it was in right. pristine condition or not. And so is it does look bad, but when you think through it logically, it doesn't even make any sense for him. To, like him breaking up his phone to to impede their investigation is what actually doesn't make any sense because. They weren't ever going to get the phone in the first place. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, Ted Wells already said he didn't even need the fucking phone. Yeah. 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 All that. Exactly. <laughs> it's interesting. And I don't know. We'll see what happens when they go to court. I mean, I guess the first move will be the judge told him today to try to keep working, try to keep negotiating a settlement. So there's always that possibility. And I guess they go to court. I don't know. Maybe the play now is to try to get an injunction so he doesn't, yeah. you know, get suspended right. for the first four games of the season and can put that off a little bit. Yeah, and, 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 you know, obviously we haven't really talked that through, but uh, the NFL beat the NFLPA to the punch when they came out with this ruling, and simultaneously they must have been, like, right at the courthouse at the same time, yeah. preemptively filed uh, to have, you know, their suspension affirmed before the NFLPA could, you know, go down to go up to Minnesota and file over there where they have Judge Doty, who is uh, uh, ruled favorably for them several times. That's right. But, you know, it's funny because, once again, here's a framing issue. Everybody's talking about now, I hired the NFLPA, tried to get their own judge in, in Minnesota again, and it didn't work. As if the NFL didn't pick New York for a fucking reason. <laughs> exactly. It wasn't just because their headquarters is there. I can promise you that. <laughs> and so they both did the same thing. But if anything, the, the fact that they preemptively filed to me should be a, a red flag. Like, hey, they know they own some bullshit, too. They trying to uh, throw the f- first punch. And that's, oh, yeah. you know. So, yeah. it, 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 both of them, you know, are doing the same thing. But you, you shouldn't look at the NFL period like, oh, they're trying to do this. When the NFL is doing the exact same thing. I know. And that's, I mean, anybody, any freaking corporate lawyer is going to do that kind of shit. I mean, that's, just, that's the playbook, man. I mean, that's just, that's <laughs> 101 shit. Yeah. It was just, and it was funny because, I mean, that was within, I mean, before... I mean, before you had to read a chance, had a chance to read the whole d- damn decision. They were in court filing that. I mean, they must have had somebody waiting in the lobby and <laughs> hitting uh, that got a text message as soon as they released that to file the damn thing because they were ready to go with that. Yeah. Hey, I, all right. I'm gonna. This is related to Deflategate, but I thought we'd kind of. Uh, this was kind of interesting to me because I was listening to somebody talk the other day about coaches on the hot seat, and and if you think about it. The AFC East race is kind of interesting now, If Brady, especially if Brady does end up missing four games to start the season. Because I was wondering, the first thing that popped into my head is, man, if Joe Philbin and the Dolphins can't get something done with Brady gone for a quarter of the season, you've got to start thinking about firing this guy. <laughs> I 
But uh, does this change the AFC East race if Brady is out for four games significantly at any rate? I think it does just because, I mean, four games is a lot. You know, that's not like, I mean, in the NFL, that's a big deal. And how good are the how good are the Patriots without Brady? That's obviously the big question. But um, you know, he kind of seems like he's the engine that drives that thing. And they have other questions at other positions too. You know, obviously yeah. they lost Revis and they lost Browner, and, the, and their defense is having some changes. You know, kind of they shifted from like being like a really strong secondary team to now they're like super strong up front. And um, so it'll it'll just be really interesting. To see what happens there, but yeah, I mean, you have to think that it's going to be a big deal, especially in that division race, because um, you know, I just don't think the Patriots are as deep everywhere else as they used to be in terms of, you know, they're not like the team that Matt Castle led to the playoffs. You know, they're, yeah. they're I think they're a little <laughs> more. <reliant. laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're, you know, I think they're a lot more reliant on Brady now than than maybe some teams in the past. So um, could be a really big deal. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you got to look at this, too. They, they won't have Vince uh, Wilfork in there either. So, nope. basically, your offensive captain for all these years and your defensive captain won't be around to kind of try to rally the troops should things not go well for them early on. Yeah. And yeah. so, it's yeah. going to be a huge deal for them. You know, them, a bunch of guys coming off injury as well, as Dan alluded to, the uh, shakeup in the secondary. I mean, usually... Uh, with Matt Castle, he did have Randy Moss and those guys, but he also had a pretty stout defense. And Bill Belichick, you know, had a lot of talent to work with. This is going to be a year where uh, you might have actually needed the offense to kind of, you know, uh, uh, prop up the defense a little bit early on, and you won't have Brady there to kind of lead their charge. Yeah, and you don't have Daryl Revis in the secondary either. Well, I mean that's a big deal too. So it'll be an, yeah. it's an it sets up for an interesting race, especially if Brady is out for four games. But on the other hand, it's like I told somebody earlier today. It's like I hope. I mean I don't care what if you're a Patriots fan or not. I mean I kind of hope Brady wins this thing because it might be the only way that they have any chance of putting a throttle on the on the NFL's runaway disciplinary crap all the time. <laughs> I mean yeah. you can't, it's dumb to take your star players off the field. I mean, people love people love Tom Brady. I mean, people that don't know a damn thing about football know who Tom Brady is and watch Tom Brady. You know, we'll watch a game because it's Tom Brady. You just, I mean, you're taking the you're biting the hand that feeds you in a way, and you it's it's like Le'Veon Bell. Or I mean, I know that's a little different suspension because it was a more the drug policy is a little clearer than the rest of it. But you start taking your key guys off the field and making the most popular player in the NFL look like a bad guy, that's not necessarily a good thing for your business model. Plus it makes Gronk look worse too. And he's like, you know, he's just a treasure of <laughs> interesting and stuff, you know? So yeah. <laughs> the summer of Gronk. Well, I don't, I think we've sort of, uh, I think we'll probably have plenty more deflate gate to talk about in future episodes. So yeah, we probably don't need to labor on too much. But uh, we mentioned Le'Veon Bell. Um, so real quickly, uh, his suspension was reduced from three games was three games, I believe, to two games. So that's good news for this. A little bit of good news for the Steelers. Definitely good news for them. He's he's a huge part of their offense. You know, not just rushing, but he's an enormous part of their passing game. Um, and you know, obviously, they had they signed. Uh, D'Angelo Williams, didn't they sign D'Angelo yeah. Williams during the offseason? Mm-hmm. So he, they got, you know, they have a little bit of an insurance policy there, but he is just, I, I wrote this the other day, like after Lynch and Peterson retire, he could come, he could emerge as the best back in the NFL. Yeah. And maybe I mean, before then, because yeah, last, last season, man, was, uh, you know, it, it was tremendous. He ended up getting hurt in the last game of the season, but yeah. I mean, that dude was phenomenal all year, pretty much. And he never came off the field. You know, we we talk about uh, um, what's his name, uh, Legarrette Blunt, yeah, and him quitting because they wouldn't use him. Like he literally never got any burn because they just refused to take Le'Veon Bell off the field. Now they're going to have to do that, and that's actually going to benefit him because he's probably going to have fresh legs in the fourth quarter. When you talk about a guy that this the kind of the mix of speed and power that, that you talk about when you talk about Marshawn Lynch, that's pretty much one B right there yeah. when you yeah. talk about Le'Veon Bell right now. 
Yeah. And he's only going to get better. I mean, was his second, third year? This will be his third season. He's only he'll only be twenty three years old, man. He's still young. Yeah, that's the thing. At twenty three, I don't even remember twenty three. It's amazing to think <laughs> of people that young. Yeah, <laughs> and his offensive line is probably better this year than it was last yeah. year. I, and I think this is. I mean, now I was just looking at their schedule. This is their the two game suspension's great, but they are, you know, he'll still miss the game against the Patriots, which is a tough game. Obviously, mm-hmm. the season opener, and then their second game is against the 49ers. Ooh, so yeah, that's tough. that one's kind of a little harder. To, it's probably not as tough as the Patriots, but still, to me, that's a little harder to read with the 49ers right now. Yeah, who knows what's going on with them right now? But but his uh, first game back will be against the Rams, which you know the Rams defense is not an easy thing to run through. But yeah, that's like the best front line in the NFL, probably right? Yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah, um, but I'm sort of biased in that respect. But. <laughs> well, in fact, I would say you're anti-biased. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're saying that means something. <laughs> well, you know, he'll get if he gets past if he gets past Aaron Donald in that group, then it's a home run because then it, you know you're it's Janoris <laughs> Jenkins and and uh, you know whatever safeties are back there you've got to beat, and that's you know you don't have to have much of a juke to beat those guys, so. <laughs> But, no, that's interesting. I mean, you know, he's a guy that lived – I mean, if you could ever get the quarterbacks out of the conversation for it. But, I mean, Le'Veon Bell's a guy that could win an MVP trophy. I mean, he's that talent level, you know. Yeah. I mean, 854 Ooh. receiving yards last year. Oh, yeah. 83 catches, 105 targets, 83 catches, three receiving touchdowns. And then you go – look, he's got eight eight rushing touchdowns and 1,361 yards. I mean, his, just his, crazy. his receiving, I think, is more than any Seahawk had. Like, I, the Seahawks' leading receiver had three touchdowns. I can't, I can't remember exactly how many yards, but I think it was more like in the 60-70 range in catches. Well, yeah, but the Seahawks' <laughs> leading receiver was like Owen Wilson or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Doug Baldwin, I believe. Dupree, but, yeah. you and me and Dupree, whatever. <laughs> but, I mean, that's obviously apples and oranges, but that just tells you, like, how, I mean, he's a huge part of that offense. He's an enormous part of that offense. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're going to have think... to back him off a little bit, though. Yeah. Like I, I, mean, I caught it at the end of last season. I was like, there's no way. As much as everybody was talking about um, the kid in Dallas, there was no way Le'Veon Bell could keep up their workload, and, and they ended up, you know, doing them in at the end of the season. You want, It's interesting, too, because his yards per attempt went way down, too, after at that last, those last three games. I mean, this is against Atlanta, too. I mean, the last three games, he was, you know, 47 yards on 20 carries. You could just see he was worn out, but they would, you know, pretty much use him the same way every game. Yeah. So. And then, well, I forget what they got to the playoffs he got. But, I don't know, that's interesting. And the Steelers, I mean, if they do it right, the Steelers, to me, are a team that, you know, they could be, uh, they could win the AFC this year. Yeah, depending on what happens with their defense. Yeah, that's a key, defense, but. I mean, their offense is, like, ridiculously good. You know, they were talking about how. Uh, the goal for them, I think, is to score 30 points a game. It's like, if you look at the numbers that Roethlisberger put up last year, they're absurd. I think yep. he passed He passed the ball. I want to say he had the third most passing attempts in the NFL last year. And he had, like, 8.1 yards per, per attempt and, like, 67% completion. There's something something really, really good. And, it helps when you have Antonio Brown. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, yeah, and that receiver group is loaded. I mean, Sammy Coates yeah. might not even, you know, see the field very much this year. <laughs> right. They're yeah, they so got Mart- Martavis Bryant. They got Marcus Wheaton, uh, you know, in addition to Antonio Brown, who's going to be the go-to guy. And then, obviously, Le'Veon Bell, who's, I mean, he's a de facto receiver as well. So. And then they drafted their receiver out of uh, Auburn. The, the yeah. Fast guys. Coates, um, yeah. So that'll be yep. interesting. It, it could be get, get crazy up there for real. He got, I mean, he was in MV. He got MVP votes last year. Rothel, I know Rogers won it, but Roethlisberger was in the conversation. Roethlisberger had more yard, passing yards and completed more passes than Aaron Rodgers. I'm not to say he's better or yeah. anything, but he was, you know, you I mean, I broken either way on that. I think he was severely underrated last year, which yeah. is kind of crazy considering he's got you know two Super Bowls in his history, but. But yeah, I mean, I think his his comeback or whatever, you know, his year was ridiculous, and you don't really hear that much about it. Mm-mm. And it's an interesting, and they'll they'll be good again this year too. Um, 
Speaking of the Chiefs, let's go, let's go on to the Chiefs. The Chiefs had sort of a mixed bag, an up-and-a-down news week. Um, they got Eric Berry back, which was exciting news. And Eric Berry was actually, he had his chemo with an IV so he could continue working out while he did it. <laughs> and he actually gained weight in chemo. Yeah, that's crazy. And and he's back on the field. I mean, he's clear. He looks great. It's it's a great story. It's super exciting yeah. to hear. But then they also lost Dontari Poe with a herniated. He had back surgery for a herniated disc. Is going to miss all of training camp and possibly a little bit of the regular season. And that's kind of a blow for the Chiefs because uh, Poe's Poe's a pretty important guy to that defense. Yeah, and so with a herniated back, it's kind of unknown how long that will take, right? Like, it, it's one of those injuries that could be four months or it could be two months, right? Something like that. And so um, the uncertainty sucks for KC fans, especially just because they don't really have a good timetable when he'll be back. Um, do they have, I guess, Jay Howard is not it? one of the guys who's going to kind of take over for him. And, um, you know, he's kind of an unknown. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, t- holding up the middle of that defense so you can have your, you know, linebackers flow to the football and all that, that's a big deal for them. So, um, you know, he, he he's another one of those guys that's kind of underrated. You know, even though he was a first-round pick um, and everyone, like, was obsessed with his athletic measurables and things like that, he, you know, you just don't have nose tackles get that much attention. So, um, I mean, that's a big blow for their defense. They have a really good defense, though. Steven, you you looked at Poe quite a bit last year, you know, and, and the Chiefs' defense in general with stuff. What do you – I mean, how's this – I mean, how, do this, how does this impact the Chiefs? Well, it's a huge loss um, from the standpoint of, you know, the first year uh, um, Terry Poe was in the NFL, he didn't really – he wasn't really playing in the type of defense that, that catered to his particular skill set. Um, he's a guy that can mm-hmm. get you – you know, up the field real fast, it, which isn't normal for a nose tackle. But you don't want to just, you know, leave him right there um, taking on double teams all day because that, that really doesn't showcase his talent. Now they've got him in a defense where he's stunning a lot, he's moving, um, you know, side to side a lot, laterally. And he's a load, man. It's hard for anybody to block him one-on-one. And so those guys are very rare. You, you're not going to see a whole bunch of them. He's kind of like, a, a, a young Vince Wilfork, and, and that it's just almost impossible to block him uh, the way that they use him in that defense. And so uh, I, I think um, they might move Jay Howard inside, but he's actually more of a defensive and defensive, you know, three technique type guy. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think that there's a guy on their roster that could come close to, to duplicating what, what Dontario Polk can do just because he's such a great athlete at that size. Now, the real problem here is, look, when you're big, as soon as you start having back problems, you, you're almost done. Yeah. It, because that's the kind of thing that, you know, the one thing that's going to help you with back problems? Lose weight. You know yeah. the one thing you can do as a nose tackle? Lose weight. And yeah. so the primary thing that would actually help him and give him relief, he can't do. So he's either going to have to learn how to play in pain quite a bit, or guess what? He, he's probably going to fall off pretty fast. So I would be worried if I was Kansas City Chief fans, and, and I'm not trying to be alarmist here. It's just to look, logically think through it. Yep. Think about how many people, big people have back problems. Think how many times it actually gets better if they don't lose weight. It's yep. just, you know, it's just logically, te- logic tells you this could be a lot of trouble for him. Well, and even like, I mean, Tony Romo, it was a herniated disc that got Tony Romo at the end of the 2013 season, and he's had problems with it ever since. Now, he hasn't missed a lot of games because of it, but he definitely has had the problems with it. And, yeah, you know, he's, he's a quarterback. He's not a nose tackle. Yeah, back right, issues suck. Go ahead, then. I was just going to say, I mean, back issues just don't seem to go away. Those are the things that, you know, you can manage. I mean, this is what Marshawn Lynch deals with. He had, uh, I can't remember exactly what it was called, some compression fracture or something in his back. You know, when he has to, like, there were a couple instances last year where he was missing the first quarter of games because he was puking on the sideline, and people were speculating that's because, that. like, he was uh, having some issues with his pain meds. You know, it's like, these are the kinds of things that he might have to deal with for his whole career. Like Stephen was saying, like, that's not necessarily something that just goes away. Right. Yep. And that's before you even get to talk about him having to take on double teams and stuff and two 300-pound men uh, mm-hmm. pushing up. I'm just talking about 
being able to walk around. Yeah. You know, uh, the fact that he had to have surgery and two epidurals wasn't enough. I mean, it's just, that's not good. It's not good for a man his size. It's not good for a man any, anybody's size, like, you know, as you referred to Romo, but especially not big guys, man. It's just, yeah. it's harder for those guys to bounce back from that. And, and, and the thing about back injuries is, is that it affects your whole body. Yeah. It's not like an arm or a leg where you can kind of, you know, try to, um, you know, put your weight on the other leg or maybe use your other arm. Everything you do football-wise is affected by your back. And so, you know, it, it's just, it, it doesn't look good. Yeah, it's not the kind of thing that goes, you know, it's like an ACL, you miss the season and it heals up and it kind of comes back and you can, you know, work it back a little bit into something close to normal. But, you know, a back injury, you can take the time off, but you're still going to come back and have to deal with a bad, a hurt, you know, the, the lingering issues of a back problem like that. Yeah. And it's interesting, too. I'm just looking here at the Chiefs' schedule. Listen, they start the season against the Texans, and then they have the Broncos in week two. That's a tough start to the season without Don Terry Poe. Yeah, that's tough. And then they got the Packers after that. So, oh, man. I mean, it, that's a, that might be the toughest three-game start to anybody, for anybody this season. <laughs> but that is good they got Eric Berry back. I mean, obviously, you know, that'll that's – uh, to have a, a safety in the backfield, you know, after missing him most of the last season, that's a, you know, and, and good news for the fans and good news for Eric Berry too, because it's a great story. It's always nice to have some positive news to talk about in the wake of endless, you know, legal stuff. So. Yeah. That could be like a big pickup for them, like in terms of emotionally, especially with losing Poe. Um, he played six games last season. Yeah. But that'll be, that'll be a big deal for them. You know, Mm-hmm. Um, I hope he can get on the field. Obviously, I don't really know exactly. He's been cleared to practice, but I guess that means he can play, right? I, I don't really know. Probably so. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I think they're saying he can do it, do everything. Uh, okay. You know, he's yeah, not, awesome. He's not restricted in any way, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, and, and really, you know, that's the thing about it is he's in remission now, and yeah. so you know that that doesn't mean he's always he's never gonna you know, have cancer again, but, you know, it, it, it's a situation where he's fought through it, and, and now, uh, at least for now, his body isn't showing any signs of the cancer left, so he really shouldn't be restricted in, in any way. And, I, you know, people don't... It's so interesting to hear and read and, and, and talk about everything he went through to be able to still be in shape for this moment, that in and of itself is is just so remarkable because, you know, and I explained this a little bit on Twitter, when he says he had to have an IV, you know, while he was getting his chemo, a lot of people, you know, may not be familiar with this, but chemo really, really drains you. It, 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 it drives you out. You have to drink a whole lot of fluids to replenish yourself. And so if if he hadn't had IVs, he probably would have cramped up as soon as he tried to do any kind of workout. Yeah. But even with the IVs, he probably still, you know, was sapped of energy. So to be able to push himself to the limit like that and still stay in shape and actually gain a pound, that is very, very impressive. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, and, and like you say, just the emotional lift of having him back on the field. I mean, that was a huge deal. I mean, if, I think if the deflate gate stuff hadn't kind of crowded it out, I mean – that would have been the big, that would have been the big story that day, you know. Yeah, definitely. But speaking of big stories, Junior Galette. Oh man, <laughs> we haven't we haven't we haven't had a podcast since the great Junior Galette meltdown of 2015. and uh, and what a meltdown it was. <laughs> Very impressive, well, top five I've ever seen. And there's a Twitter rant, and then there's a whole that's a whole another Twitter level Twitter rant right there. I mean. Okay. You know everything from Sean Payton popping Molly's to oh Jesus Raw Dog and Sif's wife and just all kinds of good <laughs> shit, man. All kinds of good shit on there. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you, you know, you say burning bridges, he nuked some <laughs> motherfuckers on the way out the door. Like I couldn't even, you know, believe that shit. And you know, the internet is forever. So he tried to. I guess he was trying to be slick and use his girlfriend's account on Twitter. To put all this stuff out there, oh. but everybody screenshotted it, you know, once oh, it yeah. came out. So he deleted the account, but the damage has been done. It's done, man. And so, I, you know, I, look, he had like a fucking blowtorch. 
Yeah. Oh, well, I thought he was tripping at first when he wouldn't answer the reporter's uh, questions. Like, reporters were calling to get a, a comment, and he was sending them, like, you know, uh, videos of him. Oh, yeah. bag drills and shit. Instead, instead of giving them a cogent response. But then you go on Twitter and just fucking <laughs> it out. It's just some personal shit now. You know, claims of infidelity. I mean, that people have been shot for less. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd imagine, like, I, you know, everyone saw, well, he'll probably, you know, he will get signed. He'll get signed. He's a pass rusher. He'll get signed. And sure enough, what did last night buzz pings up on Twitter? Of all teams, Washington is interested. Washington, yeah. <laughs> Perfect <laughs> fucking <laughs> match right there. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong with that? <laughs> Except for everything. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I told somebody today, I'm like, I hope he signs just because, man, can you imagine what he'll say about Dan Snyder on Twitter? Oh, my oh. God, I hope he signs. Like, I'm, you know, <laughs> I was like, the, the, the football gods are blessing us if they let him sign with Washington. <laughs> I mean, they deserve, they would deserve, they already deserve everything they get, but they would definitely deserve, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if you see uh, somebody, no matter which the sex, and you're interested in them, and you see them acting a damn fool, why act a, a, a surprise when you get with them and they act a damn fool with you too? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which has happened to Washington before, is the great, you know. Times before. <laughs> but they just ain't going to learn their damn lessons, I guess. <laughs> and that's what kills me because it's like the whole story around Washington this year, this offseason, like through free agency and the draft, was like, whoa, the adults are in charge now. They're really doing a good job this offseason. I can't believe this. And now they haven't signed him yet, so we'll <laughs> see. But it's just like, um, now I guess we can have to, we'll have to change the adults are in charge narrative in Washington here. Man, listen, they signed that guy. Woo, shit. <laughs> look, even before this, they said that he was talking to the media a little too much, and that supposedly rubbed, you know, Sean Payton the wrong way yeah. and some of their former players. So even before this, you know, he, he was already talking a lot. Woo, it's just, I mean, you know, it's like you see a dude come with a, with a, with a blowtorch and you invite him to an oil field. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Let's see how that turns out. Well, and that's what they were saying, too. It's like this was kind of a long time coming because he had become such a, you know, one of those guys in the locker room that everybody, nobody can stand, you know. It's just right. a, a poison pill in the, in, you know, the 53 men in that locker room. And, you know, he doesn't have any friends, but he knows how to piss everybody off, you know. Well, yeah, after that Twitter rant, rant I see why. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's just a thing. It's like, man, you're going to, this guy's on your team. It's like. Man, you better destroy your phone or something because <laughs> don't tell that guy anything, man. Seriously. I mean, seriously, like some of the shit he said, like if, if that was you, you got to see him. If you see him in the street somewhere, you got to fight. Oh, yeah. Like, he just <laughs> let, some of that stuff he tweeted out, you can't let go. Like as a oh, man, no. you, we got to fight. We got to look. I don't care <laughs> if you even bigger than me. We're going to have to fight this out. You said something about my wife. No, we, we, we're going to have to see each other with these hands. <laughs> I mean, that's how bad some of this shit was. Oh, it's awful. I mean, it's the kind of shit that you get sued for defamation. I mean, it's just like, it's just, it's crazy. (laughs) It's one of the best, it's one of the better off-season stories we've had. I'll have to say. I'm I'm watching it unfold and I'm like, yeah, that's going to be a whole lot of problems right there. (laughs) Something else. I, that's really been that to me. That's been the takeaway during the off this off season more so than other off seasons. It's like, hey, don't just because you got stuff to do after five o'clock, don't ignore <laughs> Twitter completely because you're gonna miss something good if you do. Seriously. So, well, it's it's camp time. It's July thirtieth. Uh, most of the camps are kind of getting under. I think the all the rest of them start this weekend. So everybody will be. Um, everybody's reporting and everybody will be back on the field practicing in one way or another by Monday. So, uh, um, everybody's in the best shape of their life. Um, which is except for LeGarrette, LeGarrette Blount and, uh, Ladarius Webb, apparently who failed their conditioning tests. How does that happen, Stephen? How, I mean, did these guys just let it go over the summer or is it more of like an injury thing? Well, to be honest with you, let me just say this. I am thankful that I never had to do a conditioning test in my career. The one time I thought I was going to have to when I was in New York, uh-huh. I damn near freaked out about it because 
some guys are just not built to run, you know, these distances. Like, it's a 300-yard shuttle. And I know PLT did it while he was drunk like that, <laughs> something like that. But look, man, you're a big, bigger guy. Sometimes you just aren't built for running those long yeah. distances. You can, you can run sprints either, easier than, than you can a 300-yard shuttle. Now, with Darius Webb, I don't really have an excuse for that, man. I mean, he's a, he's he's a cornerback. <laughs> you know, I, I I think he had been – he's been – I know he's been hurt in the past. I didn't think he was hurt this offseason, though. So I'm not, not sure, but I really don't think most of the time that it has anything to do with the guy's conditioning level. I just think for whatever reason that particular day they couldn't finish that, that, yeah. that, that um, uh, conditioning test. But, you know – the joke. If people gonna get the jokes off, and rightfully so. Yeah. You know, I think we this all started back with the, uh, with the uh, Albert, uh, Albert Haynes work. Yeah. You know, and when when he couldn't pass his with 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 Washington, ironically enough, and then all of a sudden everybody started doing the conditioning test. So yeah, you know, I'm sure everybody get the jokes off and stuff like that. But I don't really think it, it has anything to do with whether they're in shape or not. I just think they probably didn't train right. Yeah. For those different. Um, conditioning test you know that reminds me of we had i think it was back in june we had that story you know about levante david you know and how buccaneers linebacker levante david and how really good high school football player incredibly talented didn't get you had some didn't get some offers but went to uh went to a juco in kansas and uh was there the first day and kansas in august let me tell you what or kansas in summer is a a pretty awful place in general, <laughs> especially eastern Kansas. I mean, I, I think there are probably nicer parts of hell than there are eastern Kansas <laughs> in August. I mean, it's just, it's terrible. I live close enough to there to, to, to testify firsthand to it. So, um, But he shows up at this junior college, and they give him a conditioning test out in front, out in front of, like, the quad where all the students are walking by getting their books and getting their schedules and stuff. And he's, like, throwing up because it's some ridiculous shuttle run in the Kansas heat. And, uh, you know, so it just, I mean, I thought that was an interesting anecdote about conditioning tests because it's always that, like you say, it's just, it's where you're at and what you're doing and what you're trained for and what you're not trained for, I guess. But I, I used to hate them. I'll just be honest. I was so glad. Look, I, I even, like, called, <laughs> called the head coach, like, say, man, um, <laughs> yo, are we really doing this, uh, you know, conditioning <laughs> test when we get back? Cause they sent us a letter and everything. I'm like, are we really doing this shit for real? This, this what we doing? And he was like, Nah, we're not gonna do that when y'all come back. We don't want nobody to get hurt. That was Herman Elwood. Uh-huh. But I, I really did call him. Was like, Hey man, I need to know. <laughs> you know what I'm but if you don't train for it, and I hadn't been specifically training for a 300 yard shuttle, if you don't specifically train for it, you gonna look stupid. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh. Fun times, fun times. <laughs> well, and that's not the only camp, um, the only, not only the only training camp uh, cliche you hear a lot this time of year. You've got also got the X player really looking good, really gonna really gonna be a positive contributor this year. And sometimes that pans out, like we saw with Danny, your, your new Copkins thing the other day. You know, that was a guy you heard a lot of that stuff about going into last offseason. And sure enough, he had a great year. Um, yeah. And this year, we're hearing that about. Corderell Patterson again. The second time in the second year in a row we've heard that about Corderell Patterson. Mike Zimmer was really talking him up the other day, but uh, I noticed he's still not really looking like a snot practicing with the starters. And uh, so there's still a question of whether he's going to put it together this year. And I bring this up. We mentioned this in the email thread to set this up. And tomorrow, you'll, Danny's got a piece coming out about Patterson. So, Danny, what's the skinny on Patterson? Where, you know, kind of his career at this, up to this point? Well, you know, obviously his first season was pretty good. I think he had like nine or ten touchdowns total when you account for He had two return touchdowns. He had three rushing touchdowns and then I think four receiving touchdowns. So people were excited about him. He was all pro returner, you know, first Mm -hmm. round pick, like big time athlete, you know, awesome, you know, explosiveness in the field and everything. So heading into last year, obviously there was a lot of hype around him and then um, I want to say like week eight or nine, and then through there, like he pretty much got phased out of the offense. He had over the last six weeks of the season, he had like eight targets, so he was pretty much not even in the offense anymore. Um, mm-hmm. He was mainly, 
you know, just their returner. And, you know, that's a big deal for that. That's a big deal for him because it keeps him on, on the roster for sure. You know, they're not going to like cut a guy who's potentially going to be an all pro returner, but um, they obviously want him to be more of a, uh, you know, the thing that, that Zimmer said was, does he want to be flash or does he want to be a, a, a good receiver or whatever? I don't know the exact quote, but he was, he was essentially alluding to the idea that like, it's more than just athleticism. It's more than just being explosive when you have the ball in your hands. You have to do the things that, um, you know, obviously NFL offenses are nuanced. There's a lot of option routes. You have to read the defense. And based on what the defense is doing, you have to alter your route or, you know, alter your depth or whatever it is. There's there's a lot of these things that, you know, maybe college teams aren't doing. I know he only played one season at the um, D1 level. And so, you know, he's still kind of on that learning curve. And, I, t- I said this in my article. He kind of reminds me of Golden Tate in some ways because he's such a, you know, he's a, he's a really freaking good athlete and he can um, break tackles and he's really decisive and aggressive when he's running the football. But it took Golden a full two seasons to really kind of get his game to the point where he's like a pro receiver, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where you're running precise routes, mm-hmm. you're being exactly where the um, quarterback wants you to be. You guys are on the same page with all the option route stuff. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the thing. And so last year he had a couple of things working against him. One, he was in a new offense with North Turner and two, uh, he had a new quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. So those were two things. I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that was North Turner's first year last year, right? Yeah. With Minnesota. Yeah. That, yeah. So, I mean, those are the two things he had to learn a new offense and he, he was trying to get on the same page with his quarterback and, uh, and Charles Johnson kind of emerged as, a better fit and, and he just uh i guess he just got it more um than patterson and so now obviously patterson's kind of got this renewed like uh goal to you know work harder and and you know not mail it in it's the same stuff that i heard golden tate talking about like mm-hmm. early in his career golden essentially said well i was just relying on my athletic ability and i wasn't really you know putting in the work to be really precise with my routes and things like that and so this is kind of a common theme with some of the um, college re- receivers and so yeah he's an interesting guy to watch this year like so far they you know you've seen on twitter like his uh, training camp has been a little up and down obviously um you know he's made some big plays but i think then there's this little question that he's kind of inconsistent being able to string together you know day after day after day where he's putting in that max effort so um but he, he the sky's the limit for him obviously just because he's so athletic and huge and strong and fast and um, but just put it all together this year, though. That would be huge for Teddy Bridgewater and the Vikings. Well, this will be his third season. I, and Steven, yeah. I know you've seen the guy play a little bit. What are, you, what are your thoughts on it? you think he has a chance in his third season? Yeah, I definitely think he does have a chance. Um, one of the things about him, as uh, Danny pointed out, is that he only played one year of D1 football. Now, he was, you know, big, sensational uh, that one year at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. But it was a very apparent that they had to kind of create ways to get him the football. Just, you know, he wasn't a very good route runner and come to find out he wasn't always sure about what route he was supposed to run in the first place. So they invented ways to give him the football and he was a great return man. So it made sense to go ahead and take a chance on him. But the whole time, you know, and this is a new coaching staff from the one that, that actually drafted him. But I feel like they knew, um, the, the the staff that drafted him knew he was somewhat of a long term project. They're going to have to, you yeah. know, get him ready to uh, run good routes and <clears throat> excuse me, and also uh, he, he was going to have those occasional mental lapses where he drops balls that he should catch yeah. and stuff of that nature. And and I just actually read uh, some some comments about from from Teddy Bridgewater yesterday when they were asking him about. Um, the fact that Cordell Patterson looks better this uh, camp, but he's he's working strictly with the second team, and so how could they possibly you know develop any chemistry amongst them if they're never working together? And Teddy, you know, pretty much said it straight up: like, look, it doesn't matter who's in there; it matters if they're where they're supposed to be. I throw to where a guy's supposed to be when they're supposed to be open, and so evidently that's been the problem last year, at least was that Cordell Patterson wasn't necessarily a physical thing. He just wasn't where he was supposed to be. And, yeah. you know, Teddy's the type of quarterback, he wants to have that kind of belief in you 
so that he can go ahead and make that throw. And if he doesn't, he's probably going to look elsewhere most of the time, which is how Charles Johnson started getting all those yeah. uh, uh, um, looks. So I think as much as anything, this is going to be the year that he has to step up mentally as much as he does physically if he wants to even be on the team. Now, once he's on the team, if he does well enough to make the team, I think he'll make a major contribution. But he's going to have to fight his butt off because it seems like Zimmer, you know, he doesn't have as long an a, a outlook on Cordell Patterson as the previous mm-hmm. coaching staff did. Um, you know, and I was looking at his stats too, and his return, his return work fell off last year. Yeah. He didn't have as many returns, but you know, he went from thirty-two yard an average of thirty-two yards per return, which is obviously you're not going to average thirty-two yards per return every season. But you know, he dropped off all the way down to twenty-five and twenty-five and a half yards per return last year. How many returns does it say he had? He had 34 returns last yeah. season. He had 43 as a rookie. 871 yards total on return kick returns. Like he didn't do punt returns last year, but only 1,372 yards. You know, after having 2,000, more than 2,000 the year before that, and he, and he took two to the house the year before that too. He didn't take anything to the house last year. His longest one was 51 yards. He, you know, I watched all of his returns when I was prepping for this paper for this uh, article and he you know he still looks good to me honestly like he, he took a few out that were like nine yards deep and then mm-hmm. he got like the 10 yard line and so I think you know maybe if he's maybe a little less aggressive with those where he's you know taking taking kicks out they probably should just down mm-hmm. um but you know he still looks explosive and like strong when he's running it um so you know his his uh special teams coordinator talked about how he still thinks he's the best returner in the league. And I don't know if that's true necessarily, but I still think he'll be good this year. I think he's got a chance to kind of bounce back and, um, you know, be more confident. And, you know, because I think just like the mental thing, he's probably thinking about everything way too much last yeah. year, starting to get benched and like phased out. And so like, he was like, I got to do something, you know? And yeah. so hopefully for him, you know, it'll be a little bit more, natural and relaxed kind of like he was his, his rookie year but he to me like he, he still looks like he's like about to break it every time he returns it to me like that like on like five or six of them he got tackled at like the 25 yard line but he was like running at like 100 miles an hour so he like i love the way he returns his kicks it's like really aggressive really fast really decisive kind of style and that, that's why that's what made him all pro his rookie year so i, th- I think he still got it in him that's a, he's an interesting case to I mean, because he's a 2013 draft first round pick, and that was the same because he and Tavon Austin, you know, size wise are not the same at all. But I mean, they they are their NFL careers have kind of taken a similar arc here. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. talented return guys, you know, fast and shifty, but really just have had a hard time kind of breaking in as a receiver. And, and Austin's a guy like that's kind of on a not on the bubble per se, but like you know in a similar situation where you know his snaps have been cut way back on offense, and they really need you know you've invested the team has invested quite a bit in him with a first round pick, and, and it seems like they would uh you know they they really need him to to step up a little bit more this season. So we'll see. I mean, the similar stories, I think similar similar stakes for those guys this season too, which is always an interesting makes for an interesting comparison. As a yeah, they're, kind of, they're both kind of like in the Percy Harvin mold where you kind of have to scheme for them. Yeah. Um, rather than just like inserting them into your offense as the X or the Z or whatever, you know, that you kind of have to like make up plays to get the balls and the ball in their hands. And so I think that's been one of the problems with Tavon, right? Has He's just kind of not. Well, it, you know, it's just sort of the confused offense is like with Tavon, it's like, you know, they'll literally, I mean, no shit, they'll run him up the middle. Right, right. I remember right. that. In, yeah. in an outback field set. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and you don't, it's, and it's not like, I mean, to begin with, it's a crazy idea. And then you look at who their guards and centers are. It's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I mean, this isn't like the Dallas offensive line where, you know, I could run through it and pick up four yards. This is you know, the Rams offensive line where you got kind of, you know, wet napkins in there to do the blocking for you. (laughs) There's that bias coming out. (laughs) (laughs) But, and then too, just like there's, you know, the jet sweeps, but like you look at those jet sweeps that the Vikings used to do with Percy Harvin. And it's like, you know, when he got out there with the ball in his hands, he still had that, 
you know, he had that shiftiness. He had that, like, you know, a defender could get his hands on him and it didn't bring him down. Like you look at Tavon Austin and I've obviously seen him much more than I have Patterson, but you know, a defender gets their hands on that guy. And it's just, I mean, it's the runs over the plays over. Yeah. And that's the opposite of Patterson. Actually. He, when he runs through arm tackles really well, you know, he's, he's, he's a really like the way I describe it. He's really decisive. And, and Percy Harvin is the same way. It's like you see Percy Harvin make like these cuts that are like super explosive, and the the tackle just has no chance. Yeah. Like he just runs right through the arm tackle, you know. Um, so they're different in that mold, but I think in the, like what you're saying is correct that they both kind of have to be schemed open or yeah. whatever. Um, so that's that's the issue, and obviously they have to just kind of learn how to be a pro receiver. Yeah. Well, and it's that sense too of knowing where, you know, like you can look at a you can look at a defensive back and kind of, you know, assess where where you're going to where he's going to meet you or what he's going to try to do the move that he's going to make. And you don't see that as I mean, that's what you see a lot of the guys like that struggle with with that when they get into they play into the defender's hands so to speak, it seems like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, plus, you know, I don't think the North and them are committed enough to Cordero Patterson to scheme him into the offense. Yeah. You know what I mean? If he can't get it done working as a regular receiver, they're not going to spend any more time trying to figure out, well, maybe we need to get him on this kind of screen or maybe we need to do him on the end around or whatever. They're just going to get guys that can do it all. Yeah. And so, you know, that, I will say that while I didn't agree with how they were trying to give him the ball, the Rams did kind of try to get um, uh, Tavon Austin the ball a lot. You know, they didn't have a real good quarterback and the scheme yeah. itself pretty much suck, but at least they still were kind of committed at that point to trying to work him into the offense with Cordero Patterson. He's going to have to be an a, 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 a true wide receiver yeah. in order to fit into this offense and, to, and into this team. Yeah, and Minnesota's not, and so you said too, it, you know, Minnesota doesn't have to use him now. I mean, they've got, you know, with Adrian Peterson back and Mike Wallace in the fold now, I mean, they've got guys there that they don't, you know, it's not a they don't have to lean on Patterson to try to do something now. They've got other people that can kind of carry the load. I, when exactly. I first start, when I was started writing this article, I actually emailed Arif Hassan, who who writes for the Daily Norseman, and he and I was asking him about Cordarrelle, and he he was doing training camp, so he didn't get back to me he's right away. He goes, "Oh, I forgot to email you," but he goes, "But I'll I'll make sure and email you next year when he's on the Seahawks." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I, another training clamp cliche is uh is the holdout the player holdout it sounds like uh danny you've got some more holdout si- potential mo- holdout situations in the north there in the northwest there oh yeah we got a plethora of those going on right now it seems like <laughs> uh, yeah michael bennett cam is the threat and, bennett. and then cam chancellor yesterday it came out that he's considering it um, you know, obviously, they've Seahawks already have uh, the Russell Wilson thing and the Bobby Wagner thing kind of on deck, and it's not looking like uh, you know there's much progress at this point yet. But there's still a few hours left in the day here. But um, but yeah, they uh, yeah the Cam Chancellor and the Bennett thing is kind of weird because both of them have three years left on their contracts. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, so, and the Seahawks have said in the past that they really you know they're not going to negotiate contracts with their players until they're in their final year of their deal and all that. And um, this was the issue that Marshawn Lynch had um, when he wanted to get more money uh, the year last year's off season. And the Seahawks kind of pitched him like basically they altered his structure a little bit to give him some more guaranteed money up front, but they didn't change his contract in terms of how much money he was making. It was just like when he got his money, essentially. Um, I think it was something like that. Or they so gave you think him, they'll like, hold out or not? No, I don't think they're gonna. Right. I I just don't think they have any leverage at this point. You yeah. know, I think uh, Cam is already. I think he's the. What we saw yesterday was he's the second highest strong safety, uh, second highest paid strong safety in the NFL behind um, Eric Berry, actually. Yeah. And uh, so he's already really, you know, in terms of his position group, he's already highly paid. And then he obviously he he just signed his contract, you know, in 2013. So um, the Seahawks aren't. You know, I don't think they're likely to really listen to his. I guess they'll say, "Yeah, that's you know taken under consideration." But um, you know, I think thirty thousand a day in terms of a holdout is probably you know not what he's looking to do. It, to me, like both of these 
are like kind of like, hey, heads up, by the way, we're playing outplaying our contract, just so you know. Like setting the baseline for, you know, future negotiations essentially, you know what I mean? Like yeah. squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of thing. And so that's kind of how I see those. The Seattle Mihawks. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Here's my favorite holdout. The fa- the best holdout is Jeremy Mincy in Dallas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is the biggest head scratcher this all season. I think. Yeah, I just you know, and I always say I'm a longtime Cowboys fan. And hey, I actually like Jeremy Mincy. Uh, yeah, uh, good player. Uh, Jer-, Jer Alexander played with him. Um, and he always tells his answer though, uh, on Twitter about, uh, you know, they, they weren't playing him at one point uh, for whatever reason in Jacksonville. And then he finally got some playing time and he was like close to double digit sets. Yeah. He was like, I told y'all, if they, pay, if they play me, they're going to have to pay me. So, <laughs> so he's pretty much always felt like he was underpaid no matter where he's been. But, and so I like him as a player. He's a very versatile guy, can play inside and outside. Uh, very good pass rusher, but you picked the wrong time. <laughs> to try, to, try to line in the sand. And look, I understand they say he's like the 70th, 70th highest paid defensive end in the land, but look, they just signed Greg Hardy. They just uh, uh, drafted uh, the young kid from, from Nebraska. Randy Gregory. Uh, Randy Gregory. You might not even make the team, bro. I mean, let's just be honest here for a second. Where exactly do you think you're going to line up, you know, after Greg Harder comes off suspension? So, I don't know. You know, maybe this is his ploy to get cut and where he doesn't owe them any money or something so he yeah. can go play somewhere else. But he can't truly believe that they're going to upgrade his contract. I mean, talk about shitty timing right now. Yeah, not right now, bro. This is not the time. Uh, it's one of the more interesting uh, interesting contract situations going on out there. Um, you know, here's here's another good story. This is a good. This will be a good place to wrap up here today. But uh, so Peanut Tillman's on his way to Carolina for training camp. His plane has to make an emergency landing, and they got a fuel leak. It was a fuel leak or something like that, right? Right. So I think so. Yeah. And then yeah. an emergency landing and. Of course, they have to get back on the same plane to get there for the rest of the, you know, the, the take to finish the trip to Car- the Carolina for training camp. Now, I don't know <laughs> if there was no other way to get there or no other planes available or something, but man, I don't know that you'd be able to get me back on a plane in that situation <laughs> because it's not a fun thing to fly on a plane that could be the last thing you see in the world anyway. But uh, but uh, you guys have had and ever had any incidents like this? Steven? You know what? There was actually my worst playing ride ever. I was playing for the Bucks, And we were coming back from a game, and I I can't even know if we won or lost. That's how bad it was. Like, I almost totally blanked out that whole situation, except (laughs) I can't blank out the actual flight because it always rains here, right? Everybody knows in Florida, it rains a lot in the summer, whatever. But it was storming. We came back in, and the airport... Is basically real close to the water. You have to go over these bridges and then you come in and you know land. But as we were coming in, it was I could have sworn we got the plane got hit by lightning. We're getting buffeted with with strong winds. We're you know swaying back and forth. And you know how when you get nervous, you know people start talking loud when they're actually really nervous. Like everybody on the plane, you know, there's a whole bunch of alpha males, you know, fifty three alpha males or whatever. On the plane, the whole football team, nobody wants to look scared, right? But everybody just started, you know, oh, hey, oh, what's going on? Whoa. You know? And some guys, you know, acting like, you know, oh, this is fun, bullshit. Everybody <laughs> on that flight was fucking terrified, right? Uh, white knuckles on the, on the uh, armrest. And so we're swaying back and forth, bouncing up and down, you know, it's thundering and lightning, and we hit the ground harder than a bit. Damn, but we made it, right? Oh, man. I didn't want to fly the rest of that fucking season. Like, the rest of that season, I had to get something to knock me out on the flight, or else I just <laughs> I fucked up the whole flight. Like, seriously. So, uh, yeah, that was, I almost had to end up you know, being like one of them guys, can I take the bus to the game? <laughs> that, was, man, that, was, that was the worst flight I've ever been on, and I hope to never experience anything like that again. <laughs> man. 
<laughs> Danny, have you ever had anything like that? I've never, no, I've never had like a terrible flight. I, I was on a on like one of those little island hopping planes one time, and we hit like an air pocket where the plane just dropped about ten feet, and anyone who wasn't strapped in like hit the ceiling. <laughs> and but like luckily no one was hurt and that was the scariest moment i've ever had on a plane um but i've never had any like really bad landings or anything like that and in, in weather um but yeah the, my worst experience was after the combine you and i actually decided to stay up the whole night because we had like 6 a.m flights yeah and i was like still kind of drunk and i was just sitting there we we had what? to sit on there our was back. No drinking going on there come on man. i mean i was uh <laughs> tired from writing so much and so like <laughs> Uh, we sat on the tarmac for like an hour as the plane was de-icing and I swear we took off in like a blizzard. Um, so that was a little scary, but it helped. I was, uh, tired from all the writing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, coming out to the meetings in June, we had one of those bad, I mean, they were, I mean, probably the worst turbulence I've ever been. It was real bumpy. I mean, like, you know, it was bumpy enough where like a couple times the seatbelt pulled. I mean, you know, I always just keep right. the seatbelt pretty loose and it was, was bumpy enough that the thing pulled tight. I mean, I've never, you know, experienced a tight seatbelt on an airplane. But that wasn't so bad. But, man, there was this lady behind me just going crazy. Just, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm going, I just can't. I'll never see my grandchildren again. I'm like, that's a lady. We're going to make it. I know you're scared, but we're going to make it. Hold tight. And this was coming into Chicago. We weren't flying over the water or anything like that. We're just like... It's like, we're going to be okay. We're going to make it. This is just turbulence. Not, we're not in a storm or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, if you could pray silently, that would be much appreciated. <laughs> oh, I think that's funny. When you, someone else is so stressed out, it, makes, it stresses you out. Yeah, it does. Because it's just like when somebody's screaming in your ear, too, it just, it's ten times worse than it needs to be. But, uh, you know, I guess you, the alternative is uh, those, those drives across Kansas, man. I take the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Just cruising with John. Well, isn't that John Madden who used to always take the, Get the RV. wooden flies who would take the RV? <laughs> Florio was that for a while, wooden drive. Obviously, Florio, the same, uh, the same status level as John Madden in the media world. But. <laughs> I guess he eventually found a way to get out of West Virginia without, in a satisfactory manner. But uh, it's uh, good for good for him. But yeah, it's the old the old flights. You never know what you're going to get. And if you fly through some of those airports, it's it's ten times worse. And you always worry because like if you go through those turbulence. I worry the first thing that pops in my head is like, man, they're not very good to their pilots. A lot of times these companies, <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, that's like always a little bit of a crapshoot. Well, guys. <laughs> It's uh it's been another great podcast. Um we've got a lot of we'll have a lot more training camp stuff uh to get to down the road. And then hey, preseason football coming right up right around the corner. I know everybody's excited for some preseason football. Hell yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> but still, preseason football better than no football, I will contend. Always. <laughs> you know, you can always watch something else in the fourth quarter when it gets to that point at least. So, but at least you got a few quarters in and even and even a a few passes from the starters, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so as well, thanks again, guys. And, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Good deal. <laughs>